Welcome to this episode of the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Economic development is essential to prosperity, but in these disruptive times, it's hard to plan for the future and to partner effectively. Indiana is a state that seems to have it figured out. Not only have they attracted many billions in corporate investment, they have consistently ranked in the top five states as a good place to do business, and unemployment has been at historic lows. Jim Schellinger believes strong economic development is essential for a healthy economy and population. Jim's work as the Secretary of Commerce for the state of Indiana has a direct impact on millions of Hoosiers and a significant impact across the U.S. and globally. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Jim to discuss economic development in these disruptive times. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Jeff. It's good to be with you. You bet. Well, before we get started, uh, noticed in your background that before you took on this role and went into uh, serving the state, that you had a career in architecture. I did. I grew up in South Bend, went to the University of Notre Dame, got my architectural degree in 84. I moved down here. I went into work for a company called CSO Architects. I went in as a graduate architect in 1984 and 35 years later. Uh, took an 18-month leave of absence at that time to serve Governor Pence as the president of the IEDC. And since uh, Governor Holcomb has asked me to stay on as Secretary of Commerce, that's all I ever wanted to be was an architect. Um, and I felt it was a special career in that we serve people. We had a chance every day to alter the face of the earth and in doing so help people's lives. And I find this role to be equally meaningful because every day we get out of bed and we're able to help people with their livelihoods and families and their businesses. And it's uh, and that's what grows our state. And there can be no higher calling. It's the highest honor I've ever had in my life. And uh, IEDC is the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. How would you say you came to develop expertise in the area of economic development? Well, for me personally, it's just been, it's very similar as attracting architectural projects and competing and going after things. It's, it's really the same formula. It's just a different different tasks, different points of time, a little bit different subject matter, but there's so many similarities. Um, where you get to go, you have to learn about a company, you have to know what they do, you have to understand how they operate, you have to know what makes them profitable, you have to understand, which is really hard for architects sometimes, that as much as a person cares about their building, they're much more into building and protecting shareholder wealth. And these are so many things that are in common with uh, the Economic Development Corporation, which by the way, Jeff, as you know, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation was formed in 2005 as a public-private partnership. Uh, when the Department of Commerce, the State Department of Commerce, was shut down by Governor Mitch Daniels on his first day in office, he did so to put a real emphasis on economic development that so every person in his administration, every governor administration thereafter, would have economic development as their top priority because that's what builds our state, that's what fuels our state. And if we want to take really, really good care, one time I was asked this by your colleagues at Emphasis, Ravi Kumar, he said, Jim, tell me about your state in terms of how you take care. Everybody takes care of that middle 60%. He said, everybody takes care of his state. But how do you take care of that upper 20 and that lower 20? And I said, You mean age wise? Yeah. I said, Well, you hit it, Ravi. That 60 has to take care of both those. And I said, and That's why we stress because what's most important to that 60? economic development. So if we build our task uh, base, we build our businesses, then we're able to fund those essential things we need that are mission critical. And full disclosure, as a native Hoosier myself, I'm very highly interested in this discussion. Economic development's been around for a while and noticed you know, some of it earlier in my career, but it's really come to the forefront. Could you talk about economic development and how two major, I guess, turning points affected it? First, the internet, and then second, this digital age where it's so disruptive. 
It's incredible. I just learned the other day that I think Lapu is a is a Chinese term for old cow. And I'm way back. I'm so much older than you. But, you know, interestingly enough, when I got out of school, everything was manual. We drafted. We learned to letter the same so that two architects could work on the same drawing and letter exactly the same. And then in the early 90s, we bought our first two computers. And we bought them to do, and we had word processing for the administrative group to do specifications. But we bought two CAD, basically computers to do CAD work on, to do signature ends because it's a repetitive building. And I still left the company 35 years later. I was the only one that couldn't efficiently operate CAD. I, I still did everything by hand, and I was the last one standing with a drafting board in their office. If you went to an architectural firm today, it's completely different. There's no drafting boards. There's no big print machines. Everything is done in a high-tech manner. And, you know, interestingly enough, um, I'm glad you brought this up, because the governor, he'll tell you, and he'll talk to people about our businesses. And this is relatively new. It, 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 maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. He'll say, we are advanced manufacturing and tech. We are agrobiosciences and tech. We are life sciences and tech. We are aerospace and defense and tech. We are logistics and tech. And we are information technology, tech. So it's it's really permeated everything. And I can tell you just personally, there's hardly a day goes by I don't go home uh, and there's not a box on my porch from Amazon. So just in general, how commerce is done now is completely different. It goes at the speed of business. Everything is quick. Um, and that's why we do what we do here. And that's why we were formed to be a public-private partnership that can respond at the speed of business. And we report to uh, a 15-person private board chaired by the governor. And he makes those appointees. So I think we're fairly unique in that and how we operate as a, as a state. But even though you still have the technology things, and technology does so much, and interestingly enough, I, I love emphasis when they came here, they want their software to be designed appropriately, so they're recruiting a lot of liberal arts people. I think that's changed in, in business here, like especially in technology, and I think that's wise beyond its years. But I think in the end of the day, it's still blocking and tackling. You still have to have people that can operate the technology. You still have to have the basic demographics of state, uh, things like low taxes, reasonable regulations. You have to balance budgets. You have to have good credit ratings. All these things, we have great colleges and universities. It's There's no one silver bullet for economic development. It's everything. And I don't know the, any state that's doing it quite like we are. And that's why I'm so proud to be able to tell our story across the world. A story I will tell you, Jeff, I had nothing to do with. I was in the private sector enjoying it. I stepped out to do my duty uh, for 18 months. I've been here now uh, almost four years. And uh, I find it again to be very meaningful. Um, but in the end, I didn't write one, one sentence of this. And actually, three Republicans, consecutive governors with majorities in the House and the Senate are the ones that developed this amazing atmosphere from an $800 million deficit and 11% unemployment to a $2.3 billion in reserves. We have AAA Craig, highest rating you can have. Our unemployment rate is 3.2. And I'm a Democrat appointed by two Republican governors because jobs and economic development are nonpartisan in our state. Well, it's good. It's good to hear that. It really is. Uh, if you think about, especially people, maybe business listeners to this, what is it that sometimes people may get wrong or misunderstand that are some points you'd like to make that you think business leaders or others might be able to take advantage of some of the things that you've seen? Well, as you probably have already surmised, I'm not a real smart guy. Um, pretty much a simpleton. I always say I've never had an original idea in my life. The governor I got to meet, Benjamin Yahoo, not too long ago, and we were waiting in his office, his conference room, and his chief of staff said, you're going to love the prime minister. He's a really smart guy. He's got a 200 IQ, and I had to ask if that was good. <laughs> so 
most of the things I think about, uh, I take right back to the basics. And I will tell you, I'm sometimes troubled by this. I think that our younger generation, millennials, and the people that have grown up in the digital economy, um, they are going to knock it out of the park in terms of things they're going to do that we're not doing well in society, such as partisanship politics, such as uh, diversity and acceptance and lots of other things, because they don't even care about these things and they wonder why we do. But there's still a fundamental thread that I think sometimes we better make sure we hang on to. For instance, I told you we were taught as architects, every one of us, to print identically. And architects used, used to have impeccable printing. Today, the young architects, they rank right up there with a the doctor's prescription. You can't even read it when they write because they don't write. They type. Ironically enough, there's a font in the software that is the way we, we print it. So it looks like the way we print it because we use the Frank Ching style of printing. So I still think that no matter how uh, technologically we become as people, uh, no matter how advanced we become with technology and economic development, in the foreseeable future, always has been, and I hope always will be, because I think it enriches human beings. It's still a people-to-people -people thing. You still have to, Governor, we talk here all the time about taking Indiana to the world, bringing the world to Indiana. We do that every day. And the Governor always says the ones who show up to play are the winners. And I can tell you as I go around the country, 54 international trips in 32 months to 28 nations, I can tell you that is absolutely true. That when I get in front of a customer and I can look in the eye, they're always amazed. You came all this way to see me. And a lot of these trips, my first priority, Jeff, is to go in to meet with people that are invested from that country in Indiana to say thank you. I could have done that on a computer. I could have sent them an email. I could have sent them a text. Uh, three years ago, I might not have been able to do that, but I could have done that. But when they say, well, why, you know, okay, what? I'm here to say thank you. You had 49 other choices to invest and you chose Indiana. We're happy about that. We're proud of that. We take that very serious. Now, how are you doing? And what can we do to help you be better and more successful? That's why I go. And then the second priority is to meet with Indiana businesses investing in those countries like Eli Lilly and Cummins and Zero Biomed. And the list goes on and on and on because it's a two-way street. And we're thankful that they've invested in those countries. And we also know that when they invest in, and do well in those countries, they do well back home with their headquarters. So I guess a, a long answer to your question is I just think the people-to-people -people exchanges are absolutely crucial. They always have been. They always will be. Um, when I was in my architectural firm, one of the things I would do later as I got older and uh, wasn't as active day-to-day -day on a drafting board, I would, every time I'd come home from somewhere, I'd stop and visit a client. Just to say, hey, I'm just passing through. How you doing? Thanks for your, and it always inevitably ended up to, I just was going to call you. We got to expand this, we expand that. But I think having that customer contact and focus and genuinely caring about the people you serve uh, it's it's sort of like a dog senses a person when they're afraid i used to paper out my older brother would say you get bitten because dogs know you're afraid of them and i'm embarrassed to say the kind of dogs used to bite me little schnauzers little little dogs but uh it's just like the same with people. People can understand when you genuinely care about them and when you're there to serve them. And, and it goes beyond, and thank God it does, because why live? It goes beyond commerce. So all, most of our relationships begin with friendships, cultural exchanges, educational exchanges. And when those things are thriving, then the commerce follows. Once again, you're listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. We're here with Jim Schellinger, Indiana Secretary of Commerce. Uh, and Jim, I think it's interesting. Maybe it was 15 years ago. I don't remember. I subscribed to The Economist for a long time. And I remember when I started seeing 
advertisements from the state of Indiana show up. I thought, is this right? And it was interesting. It did, it, that, that was a sign to me that you were reaching out internationally. But anyway, I just an anecdote. Beyond that, what are your thoughts on public partnerships, public-private partnerships, and then when you put academics into the equation as well with colleges? Yeah, it's interesting. You're right. Fifteen years ago, your timing's impeccable because that's when the IDC was formed and we started doing that. And we have an incredible marketing team here at IDC. I'd put them up with any Fortune 500 company there is. And we've done things where we used to have up by the Illinois border or the toll road uh, when Illinois was raising their taxes, which they still are. We'd say, are you Illinois out yet? IndianaStateToWorks.com. Six months later, we changed them to, are you still Illinois out? <laughs> IndianaStateTheWorks.com. When we put uh, advertised for Super Bowl in New York in the four corners of the stadium as they came out, it said, if you can make it here, you'll make a lot more of it in Indiana. AstateTheWorks.com. In Atlanta, we sent billboards that said, does your commute feel like a part-time job? Indiana, you know, this is 169 hours of commute. Ours is 23. So... It's a full contact sport, and what we do is not unlike um, the military action, if I might use the analogy loosely. We will send our marketing teams into a given well, – we're always marketing, always, uh, internationally, nationally, in the state. But when we're going to focus on an area of the country at a given time, then we send our marketing teams in like three months in advance to really get our name out there. And then we come in on the ground. So it's sort of like the aerial attack and then the ground attack. And, and again, we, we do it and we do it very well. But I will say it's interesting. I love to talk about our universities. A lot of people think I'm Notre Dame biased, which I'm not because I, my experience was different at Notre Dame. I love Notre Dame, but I grew up there. So I, I always sort of took it for granted. I, I lived in the shadows of the dome. And, uh, and I lived at home the whole time I went to school and worked at a tool and die shop. But Notre Dame's an amazing school. IU is an amazing school. The Kelly School of Business and all the other great schools and the arts and the theater and the things that they do down there. Music is incredible. You go to Purdue. First person to step on the moon was a Purdue grad. Last person to step on was a Purdue grad, and the only person to successfully land a plane on the Hudson River, Sully, was a Purdue grad. And that's just aerospace and defense. That doesn't take into consideration how good they are in agriculture. Vincennes University, the top advanced manufacturing university in the country. Uh, Ivy Tech, the only statewide community college in the country, 120,000 students. You've got uh, Rose Holman, the number one undergraduate, because they don't have a graduate program, engineering. And I always like to talk about Little Old Hanover, and we talk about Ball State, but Little Old Hanover down in southeast Indiana only has 1,000 students, um, but they can boast the graduation of a sitting governor and a sitting vice president. And I have to mention Ball State because Mrs. Holcomb, our first lady, went to Ball State, and, and so many other great people went to Ball State, of course, David Letterman. But I think our governor, Governor Holcomb, and the presence of the universities have engaged unlike ever before. So we have taken them on trips with us, international trips, national trips. Um, they've been a part of talking with uh, people about the state of Indiana. A lot of people want to come here. I met with a company yesterday that's talking about they're already here, but they're going to, they've just, they acquired what's here and they're going to put all their focus on Indiana. And the number one reason they told me was because how important it is for businesses and educational institutes like our colleges, universities to interact with, another. but make no mistake about it. We can't just start at the post-secondary level. We have got to be talking to young people in grade school, junior high, high schools, to acclimate them of what's out there for them. Number one question seniors and juniors, mom and dads get today, today is where's your son or daughter going to college? And we have to acclimate young people, especially 
in the perfect storm of where there's a high unemployment rate, we're the number one concentration in manufacturing, we're a digital economy now. With the Internet of Things, so many technology companies want to be here to serve these manufacturing companies going into the digital economy. We have a great ecosystem for that, a great ecosystem for innovation entrepreneurship. But we've got to be able to educate people to these jobs. Um, some of the jobs you see in industry, if you've ever been to a recently to an advanced manufacturing car manufacturer and assembler, it's like a high-tech lab. I mean, you could eat off the floor. So it's much, much different than it used to be. And for kids that young people want to make a living with their hands and want to, you know, start work and start making money right away instead of having a, a looming student loan over their head, there's a lot of great jobs out there. And I think kids, we just need to educate that. And so I think that uh, there's no separation between ac academia and the business world because you cannot have a growing economy. You cannot have a thriving business without a quality workforce. When you think about these relationships and the investments, it's a pretty long-term view. How can, how can businesses try to make investments or partner with, with public organizations whenever there's this whole election cycle? Uh, how, how do they balance that? And, and how, how, have you seen it be successful regardless of, of who's in office? Obviously, there's subtleties to who's in office, uh, up, down, and in and out. Um, I don't think who or what party's in office matters as much. It didn't matter to me in the private sector. What mattered to me was how the economy was doing and how prepared we were uh, when the economy was up, how we were dealt with that when the economy was down. I led our firm through five downturns. Um, the first one, I, we didn't do very well because I didn't prepare for it. Uh, the foot, next four, we did well because I knew how to deal with it. So I think it's businesses look more toward the economy and how that's going to happen, what's going to happen. And I mentioned workforce. Um, workforce is a challenge now, today, more than ever. But it's not just because there's low unemployment. It's not just because of that. It's more than that. It's, it's the skill level. So when you come out of school, if you're going to go to work in advanced manufacturing, the skill set you need technologically to do that is pretty pretty high. You really got to work hard at that. So it's a matter of, of all these different things that you have to do at the same time. And we did a study, Jeff, back in 2014 at Indiana Development Corporation. Uh, we said, okay, we're a magnet for business. We've got the greatest sandbox to do business in. Low taxes, low um, reasonable regulations, balanced budget, cash in hand. What's our next threat? And we determined population scarcity. Indiana was essentially the birth rate outpaced the death rate. Otherwise, we'd be an out-migration state. Last year, we had 31,800 people come to Indiana to be a part of our workforce because we have started to acknowledge the fact that we need to have cool places to live, work, play, and stay. So in the study, when it said population scarcity, it came back to say there's three things communities are doing that are successful, small and large, in growing their population base. One, they're focused on quality of place. You know, young people, the millennials, like my sons, they're going to choose where they want to play and where they want to work, and then they're going to go find a job once they're there. And that's a fact. Um, in fact, I've run into several of those instances amongst my sons and right. But that's a fact. Um, and they want to know, and these aren't, they want to know that the site, the streets drain okay. They, they want a mixed-use housing on the river. They want recreational things to do. They want athletic events and retail opportunities. They want think tanks. And they want all these different things that uh, are great. You know, they, they live in urban environments. They want to be able to walk. They want to be able to ride their bike uh, to places. So, as again, I think it'll be very successful. But what we did to counter this, and then it said the other two things, regional planning, don't just focus on your city or your county, regionally plan, because your region has to be interesting. And then third is have innovation entrepreneurship at the very heart of your DNA. 
those three things. So we put on our P back in 2015 uh, for a regional cities initiative, we called it. So we had criteria, so many hundred thousand, 200,000 people, at least three counties, a metropolitan area, on, on, on. We got seven responses back. There were 420 projects, quality place projects, and for what was going to be two $42 million grants, 84 total, we were going to get back in private sector investment uh, $3.76 billion. It was so successful that we ended up giving three people the grants, so $126 million. There, I can't remember the exact number of projects. It's well over 200 but the capital investment from the private sector is $2.1 billion. So, Jeff, architects aren't known for their business prowess and that's i'll be the first to admit but i can do the math on that one i mean that's a heck of a return on the investment and moreover if i could take people to these communities up in northeast Indiana, 11 counties are participating in it and allen county is obviously where fort wayne is our second largest economy in the state allen county doesn't have anybody on their on their actual regional development authority they did it on purpose to show it wasn't going to be fort wayne centric but they have six people or five people from around those counties 11 counties pulling together like they never did before not not fighting each other fighting to, for their region and the power of regionalism cannot be overstated and so i think that businesses are starting to realize that you know they bring people they pay them a good wage but they need a quality place for them to live work and play and the value proposition we have jeff uh, here in Indiana, is we have low cost of living. So not only do we have cool places to live, work, and play, it's affordable. So it costs you 100 bucks in Indiana, it will cost you a whopping 139 out in California. It'll cost you 121 in New York. I say these young people, like my kids out, out in San Francisco or Silicon Valley, they got to get together once a year circle around a table and decide if they want to up the lease on that one-bedroom apartment they're all sharing. Or in Indianapolis, they could have a beautiful house. Uh, it's just uh, the in, all throughout Indiana. Our real estate's very affordable. Um, it's just a great place. And, and that's why so many Hoosiers, and we're working on this, uh, we like to call it the battering program where we're bringing people back. And I think a lot of those 31,800 were probably at least a quarter of them were people coming back. If I could back. jump in, when I graduated college, um, Indiana was 49th out of 50 in the ratio of basically engineering and technical talent that would graduate from some of these good schools and go somewhere else. You know, the ratio of the, uh, the migration, so it, uh, it, it's heartening to see the yeah, inflow. I mean, you're right, and, and I, want, I wanted to do that. I, I, because I had done a project and had referenced a house in Santa Barbara, I thought, I'm going to go to Santa Barbara when I graduate. When the reality of it came up, I thought, you know, I come from a big family, eight kids, and my parents, I, I thought, yeah, I don't want to be that far from home, but I want to be away from, I want to be in a more metropolitan area. But you, Jeff, you hit the nail on the head. So many people don't realize how good the Midwest is, especially if they're born and raised here, until they leave it. And inevitably, they come back, uh, especially when they're going to start a family. Uh, people say, oh, yeah, I loved San Francisco, or I loved New York, or I love this, or I love Boston or Seattle. But when it came time to start a family, I, I came back here because, it, again, the, and that's something we got to get better at. Um, you know, we talk about recruiting people, but the most important thing I failed to say is we need to retain people. And, and that, again, is an educational thing. It is to show them what we have to offer them here in the state of Indiana. Speaking of education, when you look at the technology partnerships you have, what are some of the most interesting ones that stand out? And you work with the tech community. Well, it's interesting. I think everything I talk to you about as far as taxes, regulations, balanced budgets, reserves, credit rings, 
I think things like infrastructure and the roads, governor's 20-year roads plan, $60 billion going into that, $3 billion a year, fully funded. All these things were premeditated, or growth in advanced manufacturing, premeditated, aerospace and defense, agribusiness, life, premeditated, you know, all that thing. You know, we have three international ports in Indiana, um, unbelievable roads and interstates. But the thing I think really was not necessarily um, predictable uh, that's happened is this influx of technology into Indiana. It's it's taken us it's we're a little bit in awe. I mean, we planned a lot of it, but not all of it. We're going at two times, almost three times the national average in technology coming to Indiana. So companies like Emphasis, obviously Star, Salesforce, Wipro, Exact Target, um, Aperio, these are great companies. And they're coming here. It's really interesting. Um, Chris Barbin from Aperio, when he brought his, the rest of his other half of his operation out from San Francisco, he said, I'm doing so because my Indiana employees are loyal. Now, I didn't know what that meant at first but what he meant by that is if he gets them he can afford to give them a good wage so they don't jump ship so our our technology companies here are spectacular our international companies and our uh, manufacturers who need those it's they're right here for them they're in their backyard they pick they got the colleges universities they got the ecosystems they got the internet of things and the customers here and they got places where they can afford the salary inflation that's what i'm told is on the east and west coast the technology companies and others are struggling about salary inflation. They can't pay people enough to live a quality life. So a person, say, out in San Francisco in the Silicon Valley, beautiful, wonderful place, might change jobs six times in two years, but only between two companies, back, forth, back, forth. So here, doesn't happen here. When you look back in your career, what are some of the, the factors that enabled you to be successful as, as you've been, and what are some things that people can take away from that? Well, obviously, I had tremendous parents um, who... Uh, interesting when, when Bernie Sanders announced he's going to run for president, he said, I know where my roots are from Brooklyn and my parents were financially challenged. They had to work every day to make ends meet. And I, my wife said to me, she goes, Jim, well, isn't that kind of like you guys, you know, eight kids and small little house. I said, no, not really. I said, my parents didn't work every day to make ends meet. I said, it was mathematically impossible. My parents worked every day to keep that from us. We didn't know that we were financially or economically challenged. We thought we all had silver spoons in our mouth, and they gave us a great education. They sacrificed that, and they made sure we all got to go to college. So that's the beginning, and then having great teachers. And I happened to go into a company that was outstanding, and I had a mentor who was just uh, taught me so much. But I think that the secret sauce, for, especially for young people today, is get involved. You know, I had a group recently wanted me to come speak to them. This was back when I was still practicing architecture. And I had 30 young people in a conference room, and they said, tell us how you built your um, network. <laughs> and Sir Lago, I, I have a network. I said, yeah, I guess I do. Um, I just don't think about it. And I didn't set out to build my network. I got involved. I volunteered for stuff. I got involved in things. I went to stuff. I inserted myself, not even knowing that that's what it would result in. But the beauty about Indiana, the secret sauce is involvement, philanthropy, the things we do in Indianapolis. We have 15 major sporting events coming up within a 24-month period. There's just so many great people that made this vision happen, but it was because they got involved. And if you're going to be successful as a business in, in Indiana, one of the major things I would tell somebody as a business or as a person, get involved because we do things collectively, and I think it's what makes us special. Well, there's a lot more I'd love to ask you, but I know that uh, you're running short on time, so I'd like to wrap it up and by saying, you know, what are the 
three things that a business leader uh, listening to this can, can take away as, as they try to get the most from their investments, especially in partnerships with the public sector? I think you cannot look at your investments. I don't think that's what's important. And I'm going to use a quote here uh, that's from Luke Coach Lou Holtz, former coach in Notre Dame. He says there's three things you have to do as a leader. Now, the rest will work its way out. The money, the investments, all work its way out. But you have to have a good leader. And the first thing a good leader has to do is they have to be committed to excellence. And all your team needs to know you're committed to excellence. Uh, and they will follow you toward excellence. But they need to know you are committed to those very best you can be and excellence. The second thing he says, you have to be trusted. Your employees must trust you. And it's not something you can just buy or act like. They, they will or they won't. Um, and then once they trust you, the third thing is you have, they have to know you care about them individually. And if you get those three things done, surround yourself with smart people, which, by the way, Never been very hard for me. The long has been really lying to find myself with good people. And then let them do their thing. But make no mistake, those soft things that we'd call, or, or they'll come with the hard skills. You'll figure that out. But the soft skills and understanding that. One time I was asked by a Harvard MBA student writing his thesis. He interviewed me and he said, what's the most important thing in leadership? Said, mm, followership. And I said, because let me tell you something. I've learned over the years that a strong leader without a following will fail much quicker than a weak leader with a strong following. So you have to lead the people. Uh, you're not going to do it on your own. Uh, you just can't. Thank you so much for all your great comments and wisdom and insights. Everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Thanks to our producer, Catherine Burdett, and the entire Knowledge Institute team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.